0: Good morning. It's nice to be with you. Um, Thank you to the worship team. Jennifer asked me to introduce myself briefly, so I'm Brent Van Holsentop. I'm usually up in the balcony uh, with sometimes my four kids who are involved in different things here, and uh, my wife, and I've met many of you in the um, coffee, and having fellowship there, um, and many others I haven't. So uh, generally I teach high school and but COVID opened up an opportunity to finish up my graduate degree at Regent, and so Brian asked me to take one part of this series. So it's a privilege to be here talking about tradition and traditionalism with you uh, as we look at Gary Thomas's Sacred Pathways. He was actually studied at Regent College as well, so as a Baptist pastor that studied at Regent College, there's some affinity there. Um, But when we hear the word tradition, I want to Just get you to think about what your reaction is, just to a word. Words often evoke a certain reaction, an emotional response, or certain connotations to us. When you hear tradition, is it a positive word, or a negative word, or just neutral? What do you associate with the word tradition? In Gary Thomas's Sacred Pathways, he looks at these nine distinct spiritual temperaments, and for each of the temperaments, he provides a series of statements and ask you to give yourself a score on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being not true at all and 5 being very true. It's like those telemarketers that phone you and you know, not very much, how much, and it just goes on and on. So I'm just going to give you one statement to answer today. Um, and 1 would be not true at all, 5 would be very true. So this is the one statement. The words tradition and history are very appealing to me. The words tradition and history are very appealing to me. One to five. I'm not sure if we're allowed half marks. I think my temperament would want a half mark in there, (laughs) 0.5 on something. But if that is not true at all, you gave yourself a one, perhaps a two, and if it's very true, a five or a four. And this is just one question he asked to test whether you're a traditionalist is the word he used. And perhaps if you're feeling that you scored high, you might feel rather sheepish or guilty sitting here in a fairly informal and non-liturgical church. But we're gonna kind of explore that in that response this morning and and some of the attitudes toward that towards that. Many of you have probably seen Fiddler on the Roof. How many of you know just a show of hands remember Fiddler on the Roof? Okay, great, a lot of hands. it just came to Vancouver in January and I had a chance to see, take my my family to see that, that great musical. And if you haven't, you've probably heard some of the famous songs, most famously one of the opening songs, Tradition. And the opening song is a classic song sung by Tevye. I understand George Stone at one time sang it, or had some performance related to uh, Tradition here, so I've got to find that in the archives because I'd like to see that. Um, But Tevye is this Jewish milkman at the turn of the century in a small Jewish village in Russia. And Tevya says that without our traditions, our lives would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. He says, because of our traditions, we have kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to eat, how to sleep, even how to wear clothes. For instance, he says, we always keep our head covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition start? I'll tell you, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a tradition. Because of our tradition, everyone knows who he is. And for Tevya, who's facing such radical change in his world and daughters that are kind of bucking some of the traditions and challenging some of the traditions. He desperately holds on and clings to these tradition, traditions as a way to give stability and structure. And it can be very humorous, but also very poignant and tragic in many places in this musical. Um, you know, it might sometimes just be innovative change when a tailor brings a radical new invention, innovation and invention into the village of a sewing machine. And everyone's like, what is this? Um, but much more serious ones as, as well as he's facing these changes. But tradition was something for Tevye that was positive. Tradition, And we might kind of smile and be amused at it and find it kind of quaint and cute. But for many Christians, tradition is a much more loaded word with many negative connotations. Traditionally, for some, it has been seen as a bad word, a, you know, a triggering word. In many Protestant churches and free churches and some Baptist churches, there's often this deep suspicion of tradition. We reject, here's one statement, we reject all traditions and rely on scriptures alone, Many have heard that sentiment. Reject all traditions. And I spent many years within a denomination that refused to see itself as a denomination. (laughs) Right? And, And this was a common sentiment. We have no traditions. We simply follow the Bible and New Testament principles. But in reality, there were a lot of unacknowledged traditions and many practices that originated not in the Bible but in plymouth england at the beginning of the 19th century and i know there's some some in here that come from some of that background so they understand exactly what i'm talking about but that's not there's no, there's many groups and churches that, have, that that all insist very loudly that they follow no traditions and often they're often most blind to their own traditions or practices and customs because they don't think they're there like the you know the air you breathe and as you you explore some of the history and heritage of these movements or denominations, you see how certain traditions begin and develop and alter and change. And some traditions may be good traditions, traditions worth keeping, traditions that are, are, are valuable, especially if they're acknowledged as such. And one of the major points I want to just make today is that traditions are not inherently bad. Some can be bad, but others can be positive traditions or neutral traditions. In his book, Tradition Old and New, F.F. Bruce makes that very point. He says that tradition can be a bad master, but a very useful servant. So what is tradition? Here's one simple definition. The handing down of beliefs or customs from one generation to another, especially without writing. Here you have three aspects of this definition. A handing on or passing on. This is activity associated with tradition. There are beliefs or practices and customs that are the content of tradition. And there's also, usually, the unwritten nature of tradition. Tradition, in this broad sense, is not restrictive to Christians or religious traditions. There can be national and cultural and family traditions, um, there can just be customs. I overheard uh, David and Harry talking about whether you could wear shorts or sandals before and how back in the day there, you wouldn't be wearing shorts or sandals into church. But sometimes customs change. Many will often you know, hear some of the words of tradition and what's being said about tradition in the New Testament. And the word that the New Testament used comes from a Greek word, paradosis. And it refers to something that's been deliberately handed down or given over an extended period of time. There's other related words that are used, like translated custom or practice. But that's the, often this one word that's tradition. And there are some very seemingly negative and blistering things said about tradition. Many will quote some of these statements that Jesus and Paul made about tradition. But as we're going see to see here this morning, Jesus did not just attack tradition whenever and wherever he found it. When some of the scribes and Pharisees challenged him for not walking according to the traditions of the elders, he had a certain response. And I want to look at that with you, and we might have it on the screen in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Just this one passage, and this is repeated in Matthew and a a few of the other Gospels, but in Mark 7, and this is going to be verse 5, we do have it perfect. Thank you. Um, So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with, defilement, with defiled hands? And so this is the, the ceremonial law and the purification rituals and certain traditions that have developed. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he about, prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you've handed down, and you do many things like that. So here's a really interesting passage as Jesus challenges them in their traditions not because they were traditions, but because they were used to nullify or cancel the word of God. And he gives us one very interesting specific example, of the command honor your father and mother, this element where he, he speaks of love of God and love of neighbor, but this element of the, uh, of the Torah, this essential command honoring your father and mother. And they, he said, had a fine way, and there's his irony. Oh, you have a very fine way, a good way, a nice little dodge of rejecting this commandment in order to establish your own traditions. And instead of, they had this, this principle, korban, dedicated to God. If you declared your money or your funds as korban, you could dedicate it to God, and you could still hold on to it, but later on, it could be dedicated to the temple or something else, and that released you of your obligation to use those to help your parents, in, in, their, in their older age and to care for them. There was no social assistance in this culture. And for him, he points out that this is a way to clearly nullify a very clear command by the tradition they handed out. It avoided their obligation to honor their parents, and it sounded very pious and religious. Korban, dedicated to God. And Jesus sees right through that And he says, basically, there's many such things you do. It's not just tradition per se. It's these types of traditions. They might honor God with their lips, Corban, dedicated to God, but their heart is far from him. And Jesus' problem with tradition here was not that it was a tradition, but because it was elevated over Scripture and opposed to the Scriptures, we see him practicing other traditions without critique, without critique and condemnation. For example, in Luke 4, verse 16, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath according to his custom. It doesn't say according to the commandment because the synagogue is not found in the Old Testament. And synagogue practice, there's no such thing in the Hebrew Bible. It developed during the exile. It wasn't biblical per se. But he did not condemn this tradition. It did not violate the scriptures. It was a place where scriptures were taught and applied. It was a place where the community gathered and he participated regularly in it. John's gospel also tells us that Jesus attended the Feast of Dedication, which was not a Jewish feast found in the Old Testament. It was a feast celebrating the cleansing of the temple by Judas Maccabeus in 167 BC. And Jesus was there attending this and observant Jews still today celebrate it, Hanukkah. It was a tradition created, so to speak, between the Testaments. It was not commanded in Scripture, but it was a tradition that remembered this mighty act of deliverance in Jewish history. And he didn't attack his unscriptural, but like the synagogue, he participated in it. The point here is that traditions aren't inherently bad. Some can be bad if they nullify the clear teaching of Scriptures, but others can be positive or neutral. I mean, Paul speaks positively of some of the traditions he handed down to the churches. He tells the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I commend you because you remember me and maintain the traditions just as I handed them on to you. And Of course, in his life before he met Christ, Paul says he was zealous for the traditions of his ancestors. And many of these traditions clash with his new faith, faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But he, a closer reading of Acts and his letters we see Paul felt very free to practice various traditions and Jewish customs the word tradition for Paul is not an intrinsically bad word in 2 Thessalonians 2:15 2, he says so then brothers and sisters stand firm and hold on to the traditions that you were taught by us either by spoken word or by our letter for many of us we are so used to hearing about the protestant reformers and their clash with the the medieval catholic church and yet they did in many ways oppose the authority of tradition, but only insofar as it usurped the authority of Scripture. One specialist in the area puts it this way, the Reformation marked a break with the abuse of tradition, but not with tradition itself. We all have traditions. The Baptist historian Bruce Shelley says that complete rejection of of tradition is an impossibility. Any biblicist who will carefully examine their own denomination, will find certain characteristics and practices that have no explicit New Testament support. It's impossible to deny the presence of tradition in, in faith. The question is not, do I believe in tradition? But which will I follow? Because every subculture is laden with traditions, particular to its own history. We all read the scriptures in light of a denominational or theological heritage, And so a traditionless faith as a goal is impossible. What's more healthy is to recognize the presence of this, to look at some of these developed customs and habits that we pass on. The expected order of service is tradition. It is custom. Some might be expecting, where's that South African accent that we've been hearing for so many years from Pastor Ellis to Pastor Brian? But Right? What are these different accents? You know, these are just customs. But the very order, in Baptist tradition, it might not be very formal, but there's still some customary form. It's a type of liturgy. And so when Jennifer switches the order of the announcements, we're like, well, that's, that's unusual. Where were our announcements? Right? We just get, you know, habituate, habituated to certain customs. So... The risk is when we cannot acknowledge the presence of tradition and we become blind to our own rituals or liturgies and history, because the Christian faith is a faith based in history and in community. There's ritual, symbols, sacrament, bread, wine, baptism. We have these, these markers. And, of course, within, the, within the, the Scripture, God is a God of history as well as the God of creation. And nature, the God of history as well, and history involves particular people in particular places at particular times. And so we can expect very diversity in varied traditions, and we see that within the world of the Bible itself. But there is this element of, of what some have called the scandal of particularity in Christianity, something particular. It's not just general religious principles, but particularity, Jesus of Nazareth. And the Apostles' Creed that we spoke this morning highlights this fact. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. And for those with a more traditionalist temperament, tapping into these historic roots and dimensions of faith can feed their soul. Their love for God is best expressed in ritual and symbol. Their repetition of creeds taps into these historic dimensions of their faith. It makes them feel connected to broader Christian tradition and history. And some might just respond and dismiss the creeds as extra-biblical, as tradition. I mean, some of the earliest Baptists had a mantra, No creed but Christ. No creed but Christ. And it sounds very pious and and very, very wonderful, like Corbin. But there's something kind of naive and that denies history at some level. On White Rock Baptist Church's website, there's this statement under what we believe. And it says this, Although we do not regard creeds as touchstones of orthodoxy, the church stands in the tradition of historic Christianity and identifies with statements such as the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed. They stand in the tradition of historic Christianity. When we recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, we are identifying with words that have been repeated all over the world for centuries, over 1,500 years, in all kinds of churches with different layouts, with different liturgies, with different languages. We are reciting words that orient us around sacred history and the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. And for many Christians, these are rich words, these are beautiful words, mysterious words. For others, they might feel very strange, very foreign. God of God, light of light, very God of God, very God. And some of these words and I see in the Nicene Creed. But others, it's like, wow, what, they tap into something Ancient. Historic Christianity has rich traditions and rich resources that can deepen our faith. And sometimes there are immature and knee-jerk reactions to anything old and traditional. And we've seen in history, for example, anti-traditionalism take very extreme forms. That's not unique to Christianity. It's often seen in larger cultures. Some will know, for example, in China during the cultural, Cultural Revolution of the 60s, Chairman Mao urged the Red Guards to destroy the four olds old ideas, old customs, old habits, old culture. And this rejection of the four olds started one of the most bloodiest and violent decades in recent Chinese history. Anti-traditionalism re- often is a reaction. Then it surfaces at ver- various times, and sometimes you'll find many churches that just automatically respond with the, where the words old and traditional are automatically words of condemnation, whereas, and, and, whereas the words new and change are words of approval. And of course, there's another danger. The un, uh, you know, unthinking conservatism, opposed to all change and anything new, but that's a different message. We heard some of Jesus' words to the scribes and Pharisees of his day, who held to their Corban tradition, even when it violated scriptures. But in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to various things, he, one of the final things he says in Matthew 13, he says, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. New and old. The good good householder has in this treasure box new things, old things, and both are treasured. Leon Morris says it's the temptation of both the radical and the conservative to value the one too highly and the other too lightly. New and old. Jesus is pointing out that there are fresh insights that are of value. There are also teachings and traditions that have stood the test of time. So whether it's a prayer book or a hymnal, Gregorian chants or gospel music, silent retreats or noisy Sunday schools, a cathedral or a chapel, a prayer meeting or a potluck, traditions can have value. All these are traditions that can have value and all can have dangers. I'm not sure what what the danger of potluck, food poisoning perhaps, but, um, but all can have value and all can have risks. But the major question when we assess some element of Christian tradition in a particular circumstance is not whether the practice is ancient or contemporary. Is it old or new? It's different. If the temptation of the naturalist is to worship nature or the creation itself, Pastor Jennifer spoke of pantheism, and ignore the creator, one of the temptations of the traditionalists is to deify the rituals and the symbols themselves and forget about the hidden reality and the mystery they point to. It's a temptation to focus on the external elements of religion, neglect the internal motivations of the heart. Jesus quoted the old words from the prophet Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. As one writer puts it, hallowed traditions can easily become hollow Traditions. Rituals can become empty rituals when they're divorced from life and love, and traditions can become merely traditionalism. Few have expressed this better than the church historian Yaroslav Pelikan in his very famous sentence Tradition is the living faith of the dead, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Tradition tradition is the living faith of the dead, traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And the problem becomes not the traditions per se, but traditionalism. Tradition, as the living faith of the dead, can take us beyond our individualism, beyond our moment, beyond the superficiality of fads and trends. It can put us in conversation with our spiritual ancestors, the great cloud of witnesses that doesn't just stop at the end of Hebrews 11. It can move us beyond presentism and what one calls the narcissism of the now. I'm not sure how you scored yourself in that survey statement. The words tradition and history are very appealing to me. My temperament would probably give myself a 2.5. If you gave yourself a 1 or a 2, I hope you'll see that tradition is not a bad word. And remember that we stand in the tradition of historic Christianity. And of course there may be one tradition that you love, and that is the unwritten tradition that sermons should not go too long. And so because of that tradition, we are going to close in prayer. But for those that give themselves a five and most resonate with the traditional temperament, I'm going to close by reading a traditional liturgical prayer that has been read in churches for several centuries. And so let's let's pray as the worship team comes up together. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we your unworthy servants do give you most humble and hearty thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all people. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your inestimable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we beseech you, give us that due sense of all your mercies that our hearts may be genuinely thankful and that we show forth your praise, not only with our lips, in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, world without end. Amen.